Good morning. This is a, it's a joy, joy to be with y'all this morning. My name is Jay Sorry. If there is a joke that you have and I've not heard it, there's a steak dinner in it for you. So good luck. I'm an intern of Covenant Presbytery. I currently uh, attend Christ Church Conway. Um, I have been back there. I was in Bentonville for a time, but Conway is probably home for me. Um, and so I've traveled a little bit, but um, it was, I'm so glad to be with you guys this morning. Um, if you will take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to Philippians uh, chapter 2, I will read our text this morning. Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Will you pray with me for a minute? Father, it is a weighty thing to speak to your people. That weight is not lost on me. But these are, for us, going to be hard words. It's hard to want to dwell in unity. It, it's, it's a tough thing. There are so many things crying out for our division in the body. And so the only way that these are palatable is that the Spirit comes and applies them. But if you work, and so I ask the Spirit to do that, I ask that you be among us and unite us together. In Christ's name and for his kingdom's sake, amen. What would you say if you knew it would probably be the last thing to someone? We've already started out heavy, I know, I apologize. But I lost someone very close to me about a year ago. And you start thinking back, did I say the right thing at the right time? Did I say enough? That if you could go back, would you say everything that you didn't say? Sometimes it's probably not best, but in other cases, it's things like, I love you. I'm sorry. 
I'll see you again. You long for just one quick conversation, just, just to make sure you've said everything. That you get everything off your chest that needed to be expressed. And surely you would focus on setting them on the right path. That, that life afterwards would be, not painless, but at least in a good trajectory. We find Paul in our text this morning writing to the Philippians from a jail cell in Rome facing death. He has taken up this letter to the church in Philippi, a church which he certainly knows. You will recall in Acts that it was in Philippi that Paul preached the gospel to Lydia, baptizing her and her house. He then was harassed by a demon-possessed girl for several days, casting the demon from her, and after the preceding riot, was sprung from jail and preached the gospel to the jailer, and baptizing him and his house. So these people are familiar with Paul. He's not a stranger to them. Uh, they know him quite well. And Paul, facing this death, is working to set them in the right direction. His words to them, and by extension to us this morning in this passage, are quite clear. Because Christ has humbled himself for us, then we should gladly humble ourselves for each other. I believe we see this in three parts. First, we see the exhortation to humility. We see the example of humility. And finally, the exaltation of the humbled. First, we hear the exhortation to humility. Paul begins by appealing to the reality of the gospel and our union with Christ. He says, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy. He is not asking if they are united to Christ, even though we do have the word if here. It is not as if their being in Christ was up for question or debate or discussion. Rather, it is probably better for us here to instead of if, use the word since. Since there is encouragement in Christ, since there is comfort from love, since there is participation in the Spirit, Paul is very quickly showing us that the exhortation does not come before the exoneration. He is going to teach us something and, and, ask, and tell us to do something, but grounds that in the fact that we are in Christ. There were times as a teenager um, when I didn't want to do the family thing that we were doing. It was yard work. Let's just call that what it is. <laughs> we had two acres. It was a lot. Uh, and I would complain about it, as teenagers do. And my dad uh, one time said to me, if you're a part of this family, we help each other with the house and with the chores. He was not telling me that the yard work was the means by which I became part of the family. He was not telling me that the yard work was the means by which I stayed part of the family. He was not going to kick me out for not raking the leaves. There were other punishments far worse than getting kicked out. <laughs> but this was not what he was saying. He wasn't going to take 
my pictures off the wall and make me change my last name because he's a good dad. He, he appealed to my sense of belonging to encourage me. And Paul is doing something, I think, very similar here. He calls them to complete his joy. This is the same joy that has kept Paul hopeful while facing this certain death, while being imprisoned. It is the same spirit wrought joy that has taught him to say to live as Christ and to die as gain. It is that joy that he is asking them to complete. It is the steel in his spine. He is telling them that there is a strong difference between momentary happiness and this rich joy. So then how does he plead with them? He calls for unity. He calls them, and by extension us, to put away the selfish ambition and conceit that grasps and claws at us. Other translations use this term rivalry. I tend to like that. I'd get that one a lot more. But he says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord. There's a strong danger that the motives of our convictions, even the good ones, are twisted in a way that causes the peace and unity of the church to fracture. We are all different people, bound up in the body of Christ. We are not the same. You and I may have different positions on different issues. We may have the same end goal and have different means to get there. You may raise your kids differently than the way I would raise my kids. You may raise your kids differently than the way your neighbor does, and it may just grind on you. I understand that. But there are those who encourage us to make these molehill differences mountains of division. And we ought to reject that. They want to make them barriers to embrace one, embrace one another and question the faith of those who hold to a different position. They would say things such as, if you're a true Christian, you will homeschool your kids, or you will public school your kids, or you will private school your kids. Or if you're really faithful, you will, um, you will um, raise them to do this way, or, or, to, or you'll live this way. Some would say, how can anyone claim to be a Christian and vote for this party or that party or this other party? You say you're a Christian, but I never see you harping on the same social ills that I do. And it's just another form of legalism. These things seem so small, or maybe even they are very serious and important. But letting these things divide the body is a real and present threat. Acting out of rivalry with one another causes deep wounds. It is to live outside of the reality that we are united to Christ and therefore united to each other. Satan would have us to harm our fellow brothers and sisters by letting anything and everything outside of the body hurt the body. Anything outside of Christ be the dividing line between us. We want to find our tribe and our identity in these other things. 
And, and yes, we can have disagreements. I, I think those are good. But those people who disagree with us are not our enemy. They're blood-bought brothers and sisters. In, in the same Christ, confessing the same Lord. And I would say this, that we have more in common with a believer who disagrees on every issue. Social, political, racial, socioeconomical, national. Than someone who's just like us and we have nothing, we share no part of Christ with them. We have more in common. And we are called to be united to the Christian. We are called to love them especially. My, my mother would tell us when me and my brother would fight, y'all are spending eternity together, you might as well get along. <laughs> it's the same concept. That is the truth we forget when we declare, even in these sacraments, when we come to the table, we're confessing, not only are we united to Christ, and that's true, but we're united together. I think we forget that. I, I do. When I, when I eat and drink, I, I forget. No, I'm united to the person that I disagree with on, on everything, who Christ has died for. It's a shame on my part. We must do better. As we come to them, we're strengthened by Christ, but we're strengthened as a community of faith. But Paul also tells us that we should not only look to our own needs, but also to the needs of others. It's a foreign concept to us. We live in a culture that tells us that as individuals, we are the main point of our existence. In our jobs, we are told that if we want to be successful, happy, get ahead, or stay ahead, stay competitive, then our focus needs to be on ourselves. We are told that the question that we should filter through every step and every decision and every project that we take on is what's in it for me. I've been in sales since graduating college. Um, worked at a car dealership. I work now at that car dealership again, and I worked for a Fortune 500 logistics company. One of those was a lot more lucrative. I would see folks who often had, only had the latter in mind in their movements in this logistics company. And they would walk around work as if every day was an episode of House of Cards, where it's just conniving and cutthroat. And I'm like, it doesn't have to be that way. But it is a worldly mindset. Paul tells us that this is not the Christian life, but that the kingdom way is through humility and looking for the needs of others. If I'm being honest, this is an area which I've struggled. Um, not that I wasn't compassionate. I was the reverse. I would not ask for help, which is also a fault. This rugged individualism that says that I, no one can ever see me panic, they cannot see me hurt, they cannot see me fret, I have to have it together, and you don't. That's the point of the body, it's the point of community. It's the benefits of a church family that it, almost like a natural family, cares for one another. 
No Christian is an island. That's the point. You are not on your own. We are to be in community together, each looking out for the needs of others. And then you don't have to ask, who's looking out for my needs? Everyone. Everyone else. This means that when our neighbor is hungry, we ought to feed them. When he is in need of help, we ought to assist them. This is the exhortation to, excuse me, to humility and to help. Second, we see the example of humility. Paul says in verse 5, Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Paul holds up for us Christ as an example of the humility that we ought to display. In my reflecting on this over this week, I'm not sure that I can say that I have 100% grasped the gravity of this passage. It is heavy. It is good, but it is heavy. I, I don't think that I fully wrap my mind around the humiliation of Christ. I would like to think that I have, because I can put it into words. I can, I can tell you that as our catechism says that Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, took to himself a reasonable or a true body and a reasonable soul, and being conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit in the womb, in the womb of the Virgin Mary, and was without sin. I, I can do that. It's in the book. I can kind of cheat to do that. But it's so much, there's so much there. This high king of heaven the one who created all things and sustains them by the word of his power, did not count equality with the Father something that he had to hang on to and treasure and hoard for himself. He does not demand an alternative, he, but, he, but steps down, not, begr- not begrudgingly, but is born like the ones he created. He does, and, and that even with this birth was a humiliating thing, that he, this God of all things, is now reliant on his creation. And not only that, but into a, into a low estate, not powerful. He is not born as a prince or as Caesar's son, No, the heir of all things is born to a woodworker. He is not some president or or leader or general that, that comes with charisma and bravado. He steps into poverty. Isaiah tells us that he was was not something that we would look upon. The radiance of the glory of the Father, the exact imprint of his nature becomes dependent. The bread of life must be fed. 
the one who spoke the world into existence, who gave the law to Moses on Sinai, must learn to talk. The one who walked in the garden must be taught by sinners how to crawl and walk. He takes on skin that itches and gets cut. He takes on lips that get chapped. He is tempted in every way that we're tempted. He endures the sin of his contemporaries. He lives in our place. He succumbs himself to the miseries of the world. Headaches, humidity, taxes, he he takes it on. The very law that he gave, he puts himself under. The temple system that pointed to him, he keeps it and then he dies. He is mocked, beaten, flogged, crucified. The suffering servant suffers. He is crucified, killed, and buried. And this is done not out of force. Not out of selfish ambition, and and this would be amazing, but he does this not because of some inherent goodness in us. Not because we deserve it. Paul writes in Titus that when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, not because we met him halfway, Not because of the whiteness of our knuckles or that we found our bootstraps and decided to pull ourselves up by them. Not because we were good. Not because of who our parents were. Not because of all the pins on our Awana sash, Jay. Not because of the theology books that we read. Not because because we have, through our efforts, elevated ourselves to the place of the deserving poor, but because of his mercy. We are here because Jesus has not said, give them what they deserve. They've done this to themselves. Rather, he comes into our place. He steps down. He leaves heaven for us. So then what Paul is doing here should be very clear. Christ has humbled himself, even to the point of death, to save his enemies and unite them, us, to him. Since you are united to Christ, therefore, as individuals, you are united to Christ together. We should, by the Spirit, look to the needs of our fellow believers. Because Christ has died for me, how can I not look to the interests of my fellow believer? If Christ has set aside his rights for me, surely I can set aside my interest for that of my neighbor. Because Christ has condescended to me, surely then I can stoop down to assist my brother or my sister. Even the ones with whom we have nothing in common. Even the ones that differ in every way that we do. It is the Lord Jesus Christ who died for us that shows us what humility and service look like. Finally, we see the exaltation of the humbled. Paul writes, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, 
Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Paul here tells us that because of the obedience, death, and humility of Christ, God has raised him from the dead and seated him in heaven. He has declared to the world that Jesus is the greatest of all lords and kings. And this is not the way lords and kings are generally made. No army has installed him. No one has elected him. No one can threaten him. He wears weakness and humility because they are the means he used to bring salvation to us. Therefore, since we are united to him, we too can have confidence when we are humble and seek unity with the believers that we will one day be exalted as well. Do you want to be exalted? Then stoop low. It's the reverse. It's backwards and it's beautiful. For so many of us this year has been trying in different ways. Some of us are rightly concerned and cautious about our health. We want to stay healthy and avoid the sickness that threatens us, and that's good. Some of us have been impacted economically. The budget has gotten tighter. The dollar has been stretched thinner. It is harder. We have been promised that these things do not rule over us. There is a day that, yes, 2020 will be untrue, thankfully. It will be a light, momentary affliction. We have, like our Savior, been humbled also means that we, like our Savior, on the last day will also be exalted. We will be glorified. That because we have been united with Christ, we will be glorified and made like him. But as I've said over and over, as we've been united to Christ, we will be united together perfectly, completely, where all the things that divide us are petty, more petty than they, see, than they actually are now. But we also are united to him and together to worship him. This is what we see when it's bow down and every tongue confess. That is the pinnacle of what we do together. We worship together. This is why we need one another. And we do all of this. Why? Because in it, God is glorified. God is made much of. When we in this body, dwell together in peace and in harmony together and care for one another. Those outside of this body see it. They see it. They know it. When I went through, through the death of a close one about a year ago, I would not have been here without a good church body. We need one another. And there was no one that said, I told you so. There was no one to pry or, or, or to dig in, in hard spots. Some did. Close ones who I was thankful for. But God is glorified and made much of when we dwell together. 
Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. I ask that your spirit unite us together in your son. So all these things in Christ's name. Amen.